Hey everybody, Rob North here from the Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades podcast. Just saying that if you like what we do and you'd like to support us financially and get access to exclusive content, you can go to patreon.com slash trrpod. As always, hold fast and on with the show. So with Halloween coming up and with uh, trick or treating and whatnot and all the things that normally come with Halloween, is that um, is that legal yet? Or well, we're getting to this with, oh, okay. with all the with all the COVID nineteen precautions that are uh, that should should be in place for you know all of that. It, it, I, somebody had a uh, a workaround for uh, trick or treating and they they had a uh, like basically a little ski jump made out of PVC piping. Mm-hmm. Uh, down from their front stoop, down to the sidewalk level. My concern was that if you use peanut M and M's, it's just going to come out like a come roaring out like a shotgun well, blast I'm, at the end. That's, well, yeah, that's the thing is, I I wanted to have a real sense of adventure, and for my trick or treaters, um, just do a full ski jump. But I only use things like jawbreakers. Yeah, just really like let them have it. But the real yeah. problem is, is I live four stories up, so that thing's coming out at three hundred miles an hour. <laughs> in terminal velocity. <laughs> I just bought uh, I bought my Halloween candy today, which means that I'm going to have to buy more <laughs> Halloween candy closer to Halloween. Hope you can dodge in that Elsa costume. <laughs> hey, I'm just letting you guys go. No, I'm going with no mask this year because Halloween can't tell me what to do. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, it, show me in the Constitution where where Michael Myers had to wear that mask. <laughs> look, if Michael Myers can wear a rubber mask for 35 years, stalking Laurie Strode, you can wear a cloth mask until your food gets to your table. But the question is, is if you don't wear a mask, does that mean you're allowed to kidnap the governor? I mean, I guess so. Or you're supposed to before you end up, like, bumbling your way out of it because you keep applying at gun stores wearing full body armor. (laughs) Yeah, that's a little tip-off, isn't it? Yeah, that doesn't raise eyebrows or anything. I mean, whenever the gun store is like, this dude's super weird about guns. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. When when a gun store in rural Michigan, (laughs) it goes, this dude's a bit much. (laughs) Uh, Well, so... uh, Yes, if, if you want to know who's going to end up cracking your kid's skull with a jawbreaker on Halloween, uh, I'm Rob North, one of the hosts of Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I am your co-host, Chris Miller. I am the one that only hands out cigarettes and loose change because I only take cool kids. You mean like my father did in 1981 when he didn't know what Halloween was because he was from the UK? I I did give the neighbor kids uh, cigarettes and uh, loose change last year. Their parents thought it was the funniest shit in the world. (laughs) (laughs) We interrupted the roll call. I'm Rob North. I am your co-host, Chris Miller. I am your co-host, Michael Ernett. I am your featured host, Jim Ernett, Padre's brother. And me with my apples and razor blades is Kyle Graper. <laughs> That's the thing that sucks about this time. Of oh, you're the one they were expensive. talking about all when we were in school. <laughs> and razor blades are way more expensive. They just gouge you on that. Like, what else what? am I going to stuff into candy? It's like worm? the accusation that people are handing out edibles. Yeah, yeah. Which, that was who's just spending good. money on that. Who's buying edibles? Giving them kids. I'm not giving your 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 kid drugs. No, he's just gonna, was, he's just going to waste them. If that was happening, I would still be happily trick or treating at the age of 33. I'd be happily doing it at 47. Yeah. <laughs> I just I, go ahead and hand out full-size Snickers so my house doesn't get egged. Uh, one of my That's... neighbors hands out full-size candy bars, and it sucks because like, we're, all, we're all mad at him for doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Cleanest yard ever, dude. Haters oh. going to hate. <laughs> I love Frank, but he always makes me look like a clown. <laughs> so, uh... Even when I'm not dressed like a clown. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are, uh, like I said, we have Mr. Jim Burnett joining us. Jim, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Rob. And, hey, uh, group. Jim is uh, is joining us um, because it is uh, Mike's 
Mike's uh, Mike's mandate this time. Yes, it is. Uh, again, thank you everybody for bearing with us when we did the switch out uh, due to scheduling and some health precautions. You know, it's it's a weird time, so if we had to do. If there's anything we know, it's the 2020 has just been smooth sailing the whole time. <laughs> I think I think one of my most uh, one of my favorite memes recently has been. The man we wanted to narrate 2020, and it shows a picture of Morgan Freeman. Yeah. The man who is actually narrating 2020, and it's a picture of Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't just go with Sam Jackson. That's the low-hanging yeah. fruit. you yeah, got to get Bobcat in yeah, too I'm easy. thinking Werner Herzog. No. God. <laughs> I watched Werner Herzog get shot in the middle of an interview, and he just kept giving it because he said the bullet was insignificant. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. So... Uh, so yeah, we're all here, all of, all of us finally together to finally bring you Mike's mandate, and Mike's mandate is who? Holy shit, <laughs> uh, Daniel Edgar Sickles. All right, Dan Sickles. So Dan, Dan Sickles, Sickles even has a cool bad guy name. Yeah, yep. yeah. If you don't know anything about Dan Sickles, you're going to spend the next two episodes finding out. Um, he was a uh, lawyer, politician. He was a general. A diplomat, an adulterer extraordinaire, accused murderer, a pioneer of the insanity defense. Uh, the guy lived a life one can only describe politely as interesting. I think I, I, I think Chris, you you put it best. He is Forrest Gump if Forrest Gump was a complete fucking asshole. But I, I was a little too brusque in saying that because as we're going to talk about for the next like two hours is that Dan Sickles was nobody's fool. No, like, that's Forrest true. Forrest Gump kind of happened along, uh, into a lot of the stuff. Like, Dan Sickles put him in a position to be really involved I'm in a lot of these situations. imagining Dan Sickles with the Forrest Gump. Hey, Fanny. Hey, Fanny. <laughs> I'd make a good husband. <laughs> but I ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> but really, I wouldn't. Magic leg. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. don't worry. That joke's going to be a lot funnier in about 90 minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once we get to the second episode, you'll find out why we're laughing. So, it's everybody already <laughs> Turned it off. It's fine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Before we get into the story here, let's uh, let's talk about some sources. So, first and foremost, I want to, and Michael, I'm sure that uh, I, I hope not to be forward about this, but we want to thank um, definitely our dad uh, with the uh, Dannernet Library in humble Scottsdale, Pennsylvania. Um, he, you know, anytime we come with a, a question about a book about something or to find something, between him and my mother, you know, there's thousands of books in that house he what you know he's a letter carrier um that's why he didn't get your selection of the month but anyways i'm thankful to him um that he's uh got uh, he got us american scoundrel the life of notorious civil war general dan sickles by thomas Keneally. um we are also looking into star spangled scan scandal sex murder and the trial that changed america by christy rose sickles at gettysburg by james a hessler uh the congressman who got away with murder by nat brandt the Life and Death of Fanny White by Lynn Beluscio. New York Times, March 1st, 1992. Sex, Politics, and Murder on the Potomac by Sam Roberts. The Yankee King of Spain by... Yeah, I'll good luck, man. I'll <laughs> the gentleman's name, and I love this, and I think this is from way back in the 40s. The guy's name was Edgecombe Pynchon, which... Uh, I, I think the last time I, I, they named him by stubbing their toe on a coffee table. That's the only <laughs> yeah, solution. That's the only way, yeah. <laughs> um, some excerpts from history.net. Um, Civil War and 50 Objects by Harold Holzer. Oh, yes. Uh, incredible book from uh, the New York uh, Historical Society. Um, a website, um, I'd go through all of it, but it basically contains the marriage stats of 1850 for later as well. And a YouTube link to a um, National Park Service. Uh, basically uh, on on YouTube that uh, did Dan Sickles at Gettysburg um, 
in for me, you know, they they do these live these live programs. Yeah, it's, out it's there. one part of a yeah. whole series. I do right. right. Yeah, yeah, the, the National Park Service has a huge amount of information regarding all of this, particularly because it's Gettysburg, but uh, including the the lives of all these guys that were major players in the battle. Um, Definitely check out all of these resources if you have any interest in the American Civil War. I don't own a lot of literature on the American Civil War, so I pulled basically all of my information from that. Um, and it's almost like the National Park Service is important, and that yeah. we should have that. Yeah, and also if, weird. Um, if, if you want, <laughs> funny uh, how that works. <laughs> if, yeah, if you want a great, um, if you want some some more great lectures, uh, filmed lectures on stuff on the uh, events kind of surrounding the life of Dan Sickles, particularly around the Civil War period, I definitely recommend a lot of the stuff that's come out of the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library in Illinois and the U.S. Army Heritage and Education Center in Carlisle. Nice. They have all filmed a whole lot of stuff about the Civil War, and I, I definitely, definitely recommend it. I can't recommend it high, highly enough. Absolutely. So, uh, um, gentlemen, anything else before we uh, move on to the story of Dan Sickles, part one? Uh, not at present. Anybody uh, else for the good of the order? Then I gladly hand things over to the Brothers Ornette. Gentlemen, take it away. All right. Tonight we are talking about Daniel Edgar Sickles, born October 20th, night. 1819. Um, there was some speculation that he was born in 1825 to make himself look younger as far as a helpmate when he decided to marry one uh, a certain woman. We'll, but talk we'll get about back to that later. later. Yeah. Uh, born yeah, it might, be, might have been beneficial for him to be yeah. born in 25. But. A, little, a little less good. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Mother Susan Marsh Sickles, Father uh, George Garrett Sickles, born in New York City. Uh, his father was a patent lawyer and a local politician, borough counselor and mayoral advisor, often claimed to have been born, though, again, like I said, in 1825. Um, anyways, um, his dad was the type to be the knickerbocker, raised him to be the very well-carried, the very well-traveled, the very well-educated, just that, you know, it was he wanted him to be that great New York type. His mother was the cerebral assassin of Trinity Church, which <laughs> would probably uh, explain why there was an estrangement as he came into his own in his teenage years. Uh, so uh, the, the Sickles family too, they were like OG New Yorkers, right? They were part of that because wasn't they wasn't their Dutch name like Van Siekle or something? Correct, something close to that. Yep, and and they were part of that first generation of Dutch immigrants that settled the area back in the mid 1600s when it was right? when it was New Amsterdam. New yep. Amsterdam, <laughs> exactly. So oh, this yeah. guy was old money when the money was new. Yes, right. Correct. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, our, as usual with every with every to steal native land and eat eat them cheese. Yeah, you will betcha. So, yeah, epidemic of the time though. It seems every hundred years we seem to go through a disease and an economic downturn. Yellow fever killing men by the hundreds in New York at this at this time of year. Yeah, it's always weird when it ticks over to that two zero on the year marker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the Panic of eighteen nineteen, considered America's first financial crisis, commonly called the first Great Depression downturn caused by the results of the Napoleonic Wars and improper land speculation. Going Going on at the time, and we learned all our lessons, and it never happened again. Yeah, we've never had an economic downturn Sorry, after prices rising yeah. from a war. That's only happened fifteen and, times in this country's history. And, and, really, and, and, and people in New York, realtors in New York, speculating on crap. Huh. Yeah. You know. Improperly? That's, that's never happened. No, 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 no. That never goes on. No, no. Thirty-two hundred dollars <laughs> a month for a studio in Bed-Stuy? No. 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 <laughs> 
Uh, let's 32. Move. Is it rent controlled? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> that was including utilities. I said studio, not one bedroom. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So he left school with the equivalent of a sixth grade education to take up a printer's trade. In 1832, his parents sent him away to make his way in the world in Glen Falls. But when the preceptor was a complete and total douchebag to him, and Sickles basically told him where he could stick it, um, he worked in the Glen Falls Messenger. When his parents found out, they came up to visit him and suggested that he learn under the tutelage of Dr. Lorenzo de Ponte. So, 1838 C. Sickles take up residence at 91 Spring Street at the behest of his parents with an older gentleman named Dr. Lorenzo DePonte Sr. while matriculating at the University of Central New York, now NYU. He entered the university um, and was considered one of the best cross-examiners in the history of the U.S. legal system. Uh, DePonte Sr. was well-traveled, but not without controversy. Um, at one point, he was a priest, and, uh, you know, they, those guys are great. And that, that's where we could just end up and it about, um, <laughs> you know, about DePonte Sr., wonderful fellow. No, no, and, no. Uh, no, 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 no. We brought you all the way out here. You do not get to dodge this one, Jim. <laughs> all right, so he was essentially defrocked for carrying on affairs and writing dirty, dirty poetry. Everybody, shock faces turned off, okay? <laughs> All right. he, he, so you're telling me that he was the guy that wrote, there once was a man from Nantucket. <laughs> you know that one too? Who had a peculiar feeling. So it's, it's, well, no, so some of the charges he, he, he had stacked against him were uh, public concubinage, which I love that, and abduction of a respectable woman. <laughs> Said, so wait a minute. Wait, got on the wrong point of order here. The woman that, just went home and did her. I mean, it was like something did, of that did, did, <laughs> Point of order here. Does that mean it was legal to abduct a woman if she... If she was not, like, there's a respectability scale. If she was not a respectable woman. It is so much better if we don't pick that particular point apart. Uh, I'm sure there was a chart of some kind. (laughs) So anyways, chased out of Italy, thrown into the wonderful world of Austria, where he was appointed by Emperor Joseph II to be his poet. Uh, He wrote The Common Days of 90210 and Melrose Place, as far as the melodramas went, to the music of Cilieri. Um, he met Mozart and translated The Marriage of Figaro, Don Giovanni, and Cosi Fantute. Yeah, this dude was a big player in, yeah. in at the height of opera composition. It sounds an awful lot like somebody we talked about in a prior episode. Oh, I to believe the fellow's name was Giacomo Casanova, <laughs> defrocked priest, traveled yeah. Europe, writing, <laughs> right. sexual yeah. misconduct. Funny Got into a high-speed gondola chase. Yeah. Tick, 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 tick. Funny thing, contemporary yeah. at the time, liked to go to the theater with uh, DePonte as well. Funny yeah. enough, they were... Birds of a feather, as you would say, Rob. Yeah, they did. They did know each other. I do believe. So, unfortunately, what he wound up doing was angering Joe II, and he was asked to leave the Vienna. So he took his German mistress Nancy to London, worked as a, th- as a theater writer for twenty years, and came to the U.S. in eighteen oh five. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> you, what was your name? Nancy. It was Nancy. <laughs> Nancy. Nancy. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're talking about a bunch of weird ass names. Here. <laughs> like, what was a what was a midwestern Wisconsin woman doing in Vienna? Yeah, good question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, well, you would have expected oh, yeah, Gretchen. Going, oh yeah. Oh, it's time to go. You know, Lorenzo. He's got to move. Right. <laughs> She's. She comes walking in. She's got a perm and a cat sweater. <laughs> Just put my hands up there. We're talking about like DePonte and Casanova and Nancy. <laughs> Drinking an old style. <laughs> Lorenzo, honey, how many brats do you want? Uh. Ah, miss, would you like okay. a beer? Eh? Sorry sure. about that aside. I was just kind of, I was just kind of, I wanted to make no, no, sure I heard no, no, Nancy no, right. Nancy. No, it's a salient point. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, so I'm the Greek choir here. Yes. I'm just trying. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm That's the why we're here. <laughs> So, this is where uh, Sickles meets Antonio Baglioli, his wife, Maria Cook, an adopted daughter of DePonte Sr., and, and who is and Maria Cook, that is who she is, um, and Teresa, who is three years old, who will later play a role in our talk. Um, DePonte Sr. died, though, in 1838 due to a rare form of consumption um, at this point. Which he probably got from Catherine the Great. <laughs> Hmm, look at that. <laughs> Goes into the legal really, system. Really, a, a, a free living rake in the 18th century got consumption. Yeah. You yeah. don't say. No. <laughs> at least it really helped him take his mind off of his gout. You betcha. <laughs> so at syphilis. this point, we have uh, Sickles going into the legal system after the death of DePonte Jr., who was left the estate. But Antonio Baglioli was essentially the one to take over and there was some speculation as to maybe some involvement prior with maria cook so of course he's like dude i you know if there's rumors about you banging my wife get the hell out and um you know so at that point we moved which on. makes this really gross later yeah yep sure does <laughs> <laughs> after graduating he began working in the law office of benjamin franklin butler u.s attorney for the southern district of new york which was and still is probably the most high-powered u.s attorney position in the country yeah. old spoons old spoons butler all right butler read law under martin van buren who was at the time the president and had been one of the university of central new york's founders as well as a new york state assemblyman around 1841 he became new york's first patent lawyer around 1842 and around 1843 opened a law office with his father george on 79 nassau street um a little small problem though charged with mortgage fraud get that how do yeah. you get it but you see it seems that it always followed him like his his natural you know unable to be able to handle money um so he was accused of raising $1,000 for a pamphlet that never came to fruition earlier. That's a lot of cash in the 1840s. Exactly. Um, instead, they, they basically accused him of spe spending it at Saratoga Springs, a popular destination that he liked to frequent. And, um, well, he, we're talking about grand larceny in the form of mortgage fraud. He was charged um, having stolen from a Mr. W. Kemble a deed on the premises of 79 Nassau Street where they operated law course. Um, property belonged to Dan's dad, and Dan always short of cash cash raised an $800 loan for Mr. Campbell, giving him the document as security. When Campbell brought oh, the... <laughs> yeah, oh, boy. All right. So, <laughs> when Campbell brought the deed back to Dan's office one day to have the debt recorded upon the registrar, um, Dan said he would return it to Campbell as soon as that was done. According to the charges, when Campbell next asked about it, Dan said that the deed had been accidentally left at the registrar's office. So, Kemble would claim that the form, to the foreman of the grand jury, before which Dan was to appear, he warned him beforehand, a strong political influence would doubtless be exerted to get the accused clear. So when the mortgage was produced at trial, it was indeed seen to be registered in the names other than that of Kimball, so the jury was directed to acquit Dan on technical grounds. Some years later, his lawyer, John Graham of the Graham clan of Tammany, which we will hear about again more later. I know you guys are going to be so riveted listening for what we got later. Yeah. Uh, directed it and declared it as his firm belief that when the story was raised again, quote, that in this case you were entirely innocent of the offense imputed to you. Kemble had inappropriately used the criminal court for a civil case because he had already failed in the civil case on the matter. Oh, uh, okay, so do you, do you think this had a contribution to Sickles' 
feeling of being bulletproof his entire life. We found out later he quite literally was not, but we'll get to that. Um, but like this, this idea that he could get away with anything. Seemingly you so. Is, you think this is a big part of the root of it, dodging this legal, big legal bullet right as he's getting out of law school? Absolutely. I mean, he's just, he's, he seems to always get, it's just, you think just when you have him, he just, the snare doesn't, it doesn't close completely and he's able to get his foot out. I mean, it just, you know. Slips it. Exactly. So just the same, an air of financial quarter cutting, not wholly uncharacteristic of young New Yorkers attached to Dan. So that was, uh, that was amazing what he was able to accomplish to get out of that. But, again, we move on because there's plenty more to come. Stay tuned. 1847 saw a few things for Dan. He was elected to as a New York State Assemblyman, became a member of Tammany Hall by this time, uh, also known as the Society of St. Tammany, the Sons of St. Tammany, or the Columbian Order. This was Take, take your pick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all, all the same. Yeah, my friends can call me Tammany Hall. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny because the name Tammany was a... Native American chief. Yeah, Lenape chief named Taminend, I believe. Yes, and Taminend, to fast forward to current history, was the face used to make the mascot of the formerly known Washington Redskins. Mm -hmm. Now the Washington football team. I really hope they change it. I I think all 32 (laughs) teams should just change their name to football team. I don't hate the Washington football team. I, I know this is a weird aside, and I know, like... I just I, I don't hate it unless they change it to the name the Washington Sentinels from the movie uh, The Replacements because then that's really uh, funny. Uh, yeah, that's true. Then everybody yeah. just gets into wacky adventures and they dance in prison. I mean, they sound like European football clubs, which is classic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's yeah. whatever. I say go Washington Red Tails after the Tuskegee Airmen. That's, that's, that, that that's going to piss that, off yeah. all the right people. Yeah. That, exactly. Yeah. That dude submits the Red Tails all the time. I have no idea. That is how that, hardcore Chris is about this. Yeah. <laughs> that, dude, that wasn't that his phone. Submits, that was his penis. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that dude submits red tails all the time. Yeah. And it, like it always just falls. Like it it's, just gets brushed away. Better, it's a fantastic name. What better time than now? Right. You won't really have to. Like their logo right now is an R or a W. Do it now before you they're all gone. You exactly. don't have to change that. Yeah. You don't have to change the fucking colors. No, it colors looks fantastic. So mm-hmm. make it the red tail. And they're going to be something really stupid. Just do an R. Because like it's Dan Snyder. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, same color scheme with an old Army Air Corps roundup. Oh, yeah. That's all you got to do. Dude, what the, yeah, what the hell's wrong with him? Anyway, back, but don't to, Tammany Tammany Hall. back to Tammany Hall. Mr. No, that's Tammany right. fucking Hall. We're good. Um, so if yeah. you want to learn more about Tammany Hall, just watch like the first 45 minutes of Gangs of New York. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, became the home base for the Democratic Party in New York politics and eventually nationally. If you were a Democratic politician in New York State... You were a member of Tammany Hall. And also Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. They all had very deep Tammany Hall connections. Yep, Helped as a major booster for Catholics and immigrants, and particularly the Irish after the wave of immigration during the potato famine began in the late 1840s. It controlled all party nominations and the lion's share of political patronage, as well as fundraising and publicly for publicity, excuse me, for Democratic candidates for local, state, and federal positions. Would also become a center for corruption, cutting through regulatory and legislative obstacles in return for cold hard cash. So you mean to tell me which two Roosevelts actually tried to take down Mm -hmm. first Theodore and then. Franklin was eventually successful and in the 1940s. You mean yeah. to tell me you get a bunch of wealthy people who get into politics and you put them in a room together and corruption happens? You shut the hell up. <laughs> you get out right now. No. Yeah, absolutely barbarous. I will not stand for that slanderous <laughs> talk in my kitchen. I said good day. 
Mr. Right. Peanut well, uh, was never that, corrupt. That, that closes <laughs> us off here. Uh, it was <laughs> but uh, yeah, but we, uh, when we eventually do our series, because it, it's not going to be a single episode, a series on Boss Tweed. It, yeah, you will get the full Tammany Hall story. We don't know when that's going to be. That's down the road somewhere, but we will get around to it eventually. And 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 I love that what eventually broke it was FDR teaming up with Fiorello LaGuardia. Yeah, of all people. Yeah, <laughs> to do it. Yeah. yeah. So. When we're talking about Tammany Hall, we can't help but go back to Dan Sickles on this when we're looking at the election of Robert Dillon to corporate counsel. Um, you know, we're talking a whole lot about mail-in voting and everything at this point in time, you know, of what's going on in current political situations. But really, this wasn't much different from the 1840s. Um, with Robert Dillon running for corporate counsel, Sickles had heard that Dillon's opponent had sent a circular against Dillon along with a ballot via mail. So Sickles had drawn a crowd and said, "Hey, we're going to the post office, boys." They found it, took them. They they took the circulars, put them all in the middle of the mailroom floor, and ignited them, dancing around the flames. <laughs> I mean, it was just subtle. <laughs> subtle, yeah. <laughs> not that not that that's you know has changed much since. But hey, whatever. Um, amid this, never brought to trial. There were there was basically. Not, every time that he was available to go to trial, the judge was not available to rule on the case, and there was a lot of planning and everything that went around about it. That he just it went so long that they were just like, you know what? It's been four or five years. Why, why do we care at this? Who dodges bullet after bullet <laughs> after bullet after cannonball? Well, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is what you. This is one of the things you mentioned earlier. You know, if you're Lee. Uh, if you come out of law school and you wind up legally b- bulletproof yeah. in your first case, do you feel that way? Not to mention well, you're how- coming out of law school into the most powerful of what was and still is the most powerful federal court outside the Supreme outside of the U.S. Supreme Court. And I would suggest though that how can you not feel legally bulletproof when pretty much your entire life you are mm-hmm. exactly. Absolutely. We're going to see this over and over and over and over again. Well, one thing he really liked to do was chase White Fanny. In this case, found a woman by the name of Fanny White. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, God damn. <laughs> God damn it. That was, oh, that was beautiful. Wow. That was beautiful. This woman born Jane Funk in Cooperstown, New York, a prosperous farmer's daughter. Although, she- i got to say, before we move on, <laughs> yeah, no, no, wait there's, a minute. there's a big problem here with the term Fanny. If we have any British listeners out there, they're going to have a we're very We're talking about reaction. butts, guys, in England. <laughs> well, we're going to have a very different reaction to American right. listeners, because I don't... Do you guys know what a Fanny is? I know what a Fanny it's is. Like a, it's like a side... Well, I, yeah. Well, no. It's a front Fanny. In the U.S., it's a butt. In Britain, it's the front butt. It's a front butt. The front The front butt. I forget. The youngest they call person at this table, bag, I think it's 32. Bag. We said front butt. <laughs> exactly, man. It's it, They actually talked about that on DVE. One of the uh, listeners, one of the comedians that they had on there was over in Great Britain. And she says, oh, hey, we need to see your passport. She says, oh, it's in my fanny. And they all kind of jump back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Scrambling for hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> so, born Jane Funk in Cooperstown, New York, a prosperous farmer's daughter. Uh, she became the victim of a seducer. That is, quote, became the victim of a seducer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at around 18. Uh, practice when older men would seduce and bend young, naive women uh, with a promise of marriage only to abandon them. And I don't put quotes around it because she did something untoward. It was such a common phrase in use at the time. Correct. But because the U.S. was so uptight, like, Victorian Britain had the reputation for being a very staunch, uptight, misogynistic society. The U.S. had a reputation for being way worse than Britain. 
Britain mm. was considered very, very open. They still are. Well, but Compa- it's spe- we're still puritanical compared to the Brits. But everybody right. has this. Everybody has a stereotype now of Victorian British society right. being so uptight compared right. to the U.S. It was nothing. Mm. Where you would basically be essentially sexually assaulted, and you would be just. Well, actually, you're right. A lot of it hasn't changed, but you would just be totally it was, cast out. Was the other guy good yeah. at swimming? Mm, that's because mm, yeah. then he's fine. He, he, he's he's <laughs> yeah. got to be good at swimming. Uh, no, he wasn't. Nobody nobody could swim until 1885. Chris. <laughs> 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 so uh, she moved to New York City at 19 and got a position, albeit maybe on her back, um, at a brothel owned by Julia Brown, a madam who created uh, who catered to high society types. Uh, she met Dan in 1847, and he was soon considered to be her quote man, getting free sex but still providing her with gifts of money and jewelry. Hey, you know what? Buy it off, no feelings. That. You fake orgasms, I'll fake relationships. It'll work out. Yeah. Very so, little has changed. It's, it's, yeah. incredibly, <laughs> it's incredibly contemporary. I believe they call that yachting now. Yachting. <laughs> uh, Shout out to Lindsay Lohan. You Hope bet. She's doing okay. <laughs> Sickles would frequently bring her to Albany with him once he was elected to the New York State Assembly and would introduce her around the breakfast table <laughs> to dismayed guests at his hotel. Hello, uptight victorious. This is my friend, the hooker. <laughs> <laughs> you better like her because she's eating her waffles with you. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, I go and get myself some waffle. Anyhow, these people were fully aware that she wasn't his wife and would take her to visit the assembly chamber, which led to sickle censure by the Whig party. The two ended up spending a night in jail in Albany because they decided to go out on the town with Fanny dressed as a man, which was highly illegal at the time. <laughs> So in 1851, she opened her own brothel with Sickles' help and arranged all She's the She's wearing trousers. <laughs> Put her in chains. <laughs> Indubitably. <laughs> so she does open a brothel in 1851. Um, Dan Sickles helps her out, uh, arranges all the financing under the name of Antonio Baglioli. Oops. Oops. <laughs> Not quite the oops. Next year, he'd, he'd be calling him daddy. Yeah. yeah father-in-law. So... <laughs> I don't uh, understand the guy. He banged my daughter. He banged the other woman. He opened a brothel in my name. <laughs> Maro! <laughs> Mamma mia! <laughs> Remember, it's never racist if you use an Italian accent. That's right. <laughs> a month prior to Franklin Pierce election, 32-year-old Dan reposed, proposed to then 15-year-old Teresa Baglioli, <laughs> and upon her acceptance... They were wed on September 27th, 1852. Seven months later, they would welcome Laura Buchanan Sickles in 1853. Could that age oh. difference be perhaps why he said he was born six years later than he might have actually been? What? <laughs> and I, the more important question is, to remind the listeners, this is the same guy that may or may not have been stupping Antonio's wife. <laughs> Teresa's mother. He met his wife when she was three. Tomorrow on Jerry Springer. <laughs> well, that's the thing, too. Is like we, You look at this and you go, whether he was 27 or 32, she's 15. Ugh. Especially now. but like, And everybody goes, oh, that's just the way it was in the world. It was, it not. was, it not. was not. It was not. It's the it, way. Again, we go by back to. By 1850 standards, it was still creepy. A little, <laughs> and, the, and America had a worldwide reputation for marrying off children, especially girls. 
And that's the thing. You think, oh, it's still happening in Europe. It's outside outside the aristocracy. It's really not because the arist- aristocratic marriages are still incredibly political. Mm-hmm. But for in normal society, working class, middle class, I think the average working class marriageable age in 1860 in England was 25. Correct. Yeah. So it's it's so much closer to what it actually was today, and so this is just I mean this is par for the course, and it's gross. Yeah, it's it really has not changed in 150 years. It's yeah. it, one of the things, and I always look to that. I'm like, well, they were no, they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. most yeah. most just so we're clear, still yeah. fucked up. Yeah, 20 to 26 <laughs> was about the average, about 70 percent. Of women yeah. were married by that point, well, 20 then, to 26. And then the daughter came along seven months after the wedding. Yeah. Like, wonder why that happened. My dad <laughs> may be flaky, but... Yeah. <laughs> she looked better in a wedding dress on September 27, 1852 the, than the, a party six months later. The, uh, just, the, <laughs> the gestation time, to be clear, in 150 years, the gestation it, time has not, <laughs> has not changed. Still 40 weeks, people. <laughs> Oh, see, I thought it was sure. I thought it was like the inflation rate of money. No, right. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. I thought a pregnancy in 1850 was 19 days long. I'm sorry. Mike. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dang, man. <laughs> no wonder they had families of like 20. <laughs> that's nine months in 2020 days. Yeah. What? That's okay. In, in, in the year 2300, we'll all be giraffes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> what? You're looking forward to? Uh, you're looking forward to a woman being pregnant for 19 freaking months no but i am looking forward to having a normal neck once this is all stretched out oh, that's nice. what i'm saying yeah. <laughs> i'm tall um, enough i'm fine yeah. just be a bitch to get a sore throat i'll tell you that so, so, so to get this back on the track we have so we have little baby laura coming along yeah we have little baby laura coming along in 1853 um it, again, both, both Dan and Teresa took stock in what each other brought to the marriage. Of course, Teresa was more devoted at the time. It'd be one thing with this history with Fanny White, with his history of promiscuity in the past. You know, to- also, can I interject? Sorry, one more time about Fanny White. When Fanny found out that he had married Teresa. She was apparently so angry when he when she found out that Dan and Teresa had gotten married that she tracked him down in Midtown and started walking in a saloon and beat him with a riding whip. He was into that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only this time he didn't have to give her jewelry. <laughs> the safe word is Taminen. <laughs> My end. And that was a riding whip, not a bull whip. To be clear from previous episodes. Correct. It's it's thanks to our. I believe everybody here has now seen Downton Abbey. <laughs> Downtown Abbey. Downtown Abbey. <laughs> All righty. Well, we're so, <laughs> moving along. We, we have the London incident, which really makes some headlines here. Um, Senator James Buchanan was approached by President Franklin Pierce, the State Department's most senior diplomatic post, minister to the Court of St. James. And as a result, Buchanan appointed Sickles as his first secretary to the American legation in London. Along the issues of the day, a Nicaraguan canal and sea freedom was on the agenda. But Dan had to consider that taking his wife and newborn child across the Atlantic, which he was not prepared to do, was going to be a long, arduous process and probably not the safest thing in the world. But he also wasn't going to go it alone. So what he did was uh, he and James Buchanan boarded a boat, sailed for London, and of course, he brought an invitational escort. That's right. You guessed it, folks. Fanny White. Who would have loved to have met the acquaintance of Queen Victoria? 
Introduced it to the court as Julia Bennett, as her name and profession would have been scandalous. Yeah. No, actually, it might have been a little more accepted over there than it was in America. But anyway, she had hoped that this would be the case. <laughs> Not with the queen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, society yeah. might be one thing. Yeah, yeah. We are talking about meeting the queen. Yeah, we, we, we're we, talking you, about you meeting the woman who gave her name to Victorian society. Yeah, we, I get you, but I mean, come on. It was worth yeah, a shot. You, you don't invite the queen to meet your whore. You just don't. Whenever he is wrote, that like, where I went wrong, Michael? Uh, are, are you, are you trying you to say something? When under plus one, he wrote Hooker. They thought about the Joseph late 90s Hooker. Guys. <laughs> like, no, wrong, wrong contemporary. <laughs> uh, is that it? Did the penguin tell you to do this? <laughs> yeah. So, it, oh, man, I, I love that. I love you. Just he, he he took a courtesan to meet the queen. That is that is some take some stones. That's, that is some, that's that big is, dick shit. Yeah. Big, that dick is some big dick energy. That yeah. is some Henry James shit. I like that <laughs> no, a lot. Like it, it took four and a half weeks by boat, but then he had to wait two more weeks for his nuts to finish the voyage. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> precisely. Dragging so hard they were only making two knots. <laughs> oh man! Is that anchor? No, that's sickles. <laughs> that's why the boat's slow. Yeah. All right. Thank, co- thank goodness for those white sandy bottoms. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, these damn barnacles. <laughs> uh. Sponges. So we'll <laughs> oh, God. Uh, that joke gets a lot funnier if you caught up on our Russian Pacific uh, fleet episode, which you should do because it's dope. Nice. So what she did with uh, Dan, other than probably the obvious, um, accompanied him to theaters, operas, and diplomatic events, including delegations and introduction to Queen Victoria, where Fanny made her curtsy and was introduced to Her Majesty as Miss Bennett of New York. Two potential reasons. Um, Sickles used the name to troll James Gordon Bennett, editor of the New York Herald and a strong critic of Sickles. Man, that's some long game shit. <laughs> <laughs> not only, not only does he have the brain. balls to introduce his whore to the queen, <laughs> he, he picks on a journalist who hates him while he's at it. I mean, that's beauteous, you know? Um, it's so much funnier than fake news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the queen never caught on, but it did get back to Bennett, who, of course, was pissed. <laughs> and the other reason was she had actually changed her last name to Adrian. Her business ventures from 1853 on she would sign bank drafts and contracts with the name j augusta bennett so when teresa arrived six months later white was made new it was made basically kindly to piss off i mean and piss clean off into the ethos she was said to have gone on a tour of europe visiting paris vienna berlin and all the hot spots thrown out of the paris opera because she would go absolutely get absolutely shit-faced and start shouting and interrupting the performance so she was dragged out <laughs> so, yeah, she, no, so yeah she would go to the opera she would get gin drunk and she'd start just heckling the opera <laughs> all these opera singers just this Drunk American lady go going, man, figure figure as I confirm that. Hey, let go of me. And just these gendarmes and these weird cockade hats are just dragging the I knew Figaro, you never should have married him in the first place. <laughs> He's too good for you. She's like the drunk mother in law. Yeah. Well, she ended up going back to New York and establishing a second brothel. And I mean, her story actually has a really sad ending. Should I take this? Go ahead, right on. So she, so was Sickles was still in Europe. Teresa's there now. They're there together. She's she's gone back to the states. She she ended up uh, she would ended up pairing up with a wealthy, much older land developer named Jacob Rutgers Leroy. But in 1859, she sold off all of her brothels and married a criminal defense lawyer seven years her junior named Edmund Blankman. 
and totally got out of the world of sex work. She went, I hate to use the term legit, but I mean, she got out of that particular business. Uh, But in 1860, she died very suddenly at the age of only 37, apparently of a stroke, but her death was very, very controversial. As rumors abounded of her being poisoned, and a full inquest was made by the coroner's office, which became a big time like cause celeb in the media, in the local media. And although she was found to have uh, second stage syphilis, early symptoms of tuberculosis, and heart disease, all of which probably would have killed her sooner rather than later. Anyway, no sign of poison was discovered. However, that wasn't the end of things, as her family, who had shoved her aside in her youth for being seduced by whatever. Uh, and and her got into a protracted legal battle with her husband over an estate that would have been as worth that could have been worth as much as four hundred thousand dollars in eighteen sixty, and that's about eight million in today's cash. That's incredible. Yeah, that's, didn't want anything to do with her while she was on her back, but they sure as hell wanted her money. Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny how that works. Yeah, get that. <laughs> Yeah, but she wasn't listed as they weren't listed as next to kin though. But I mean, she was she was an entrepreneur. I mean, I I got big time respect for Fanny. No, I don't care how you make your living. Yeah, it's a hustle, and and you, you made she made her she made her way. You yeah, know? she did eight million dollars well, back. Yeah, and she met the queen exactly. Listen, I'm a bartender. <laughs> like, yeah. As a bartender, I am the like lowest form of prostitution. For thirty minutes or more, you pay me to be your friend. It's it's not really that different. What I do is legitimate. What she does is not. It's still not, and that's super fucked up. But we'll talk about that. How later. much do I have to tip for you to be more than my friend? <laughs> Buy me a drink, sailor. <laughs> you like happy? You, take you me like happy? <laughs> <laughs> that's the line. I've done. Take line. me to meet the <laughs> queen, <laughs> Kyle. I've, Kyle, I've known Chris longer than you. It's thirty <laughs> <laughs> percent. <laughs> and next week we'll discuss Robert Kraft. <laughs> so what guys, guys, I'm going on a smoke break. Chris, you went on one ten minute. <laughs> so going back to the London incident. Meanwhile, on July 14th, 1854, Dan's sense of patriotism went haywire. And understand too, Dan Sickles was born about seven years after the War of 1812. A lot of anti-British sentiment laid in this guy's heart. And yeah, they weren't when, exactly allies yet. The exactly. special relationship didn't exist. Yeah. Um, it was a party organized by a native Bostonian, George Peabody, to celebrate Anglo-American relations. <laughs> Funny enough how we just mentioned that, and this okay, is what's I going on. Back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't happening in Sickles. <laughs> but his distrust for the British, um, he, just, he didn't like celebrating July 4th in a foreign country with people who just weren't American. It's like, why are, why are we... We kicked your ass. It turns out that these people were very instrumental in why the force yeah. is important here and not there. Exactly. It also didn't help that there were 150 Englishmen at this party, um, two life-size portraits of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, Albert, while at the other end of the room... A so life-size picture. picture of Queen Victoria is so about... Yay big, about 15 inches. Yeah, 15 foot inches. <laughs> yeah, get that. <laughs> the first time I read his notes, I, I, I thought he said, uh, a life-size portrait of Queen Victoria's Prince Albert. <laughs> in, in the can. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> but that was all dwarfed by a small picture of George Washington, and the key toast to Washington was to be given by none other than an Englishman. He wasn't too happy at all about that and would make his distaste known. When it came time for the toast, after the Star Spangled Banner and Hail Columbia were played, with all of the negative British <laughs> British undertones and references removed, 149 out of 150 people stood up, 
placed their right foot on a chair, and after the Toastmaster said, to the queen, the party would repeat it. Dan said, piss off. <laughs> he did not say a word, remained firmly seated. Um, while his motives were unclear as if he truly felt this way or if it was a political calculation, his civil disobedience told John Buck to stuff it. And when he returned to New York, the Americans raged wonderfully. They loved it. He was huge. Um, if that wasn't enough, in October of 1854, President Pierce gave the task to three principal ambassadors in Europe, James Buchanan being one, John Mason and Pierre Solier, and the American ministers from London, Paris and Madrid, excuse me, to announce the United States' intention to purchase Cuba from the Spanish. They met with Dan Sickles at a Belgian port city and with his help drafted the Austin Manifesto. Which wouldn't be a problem if you said, well, hey, we have intention to buy your country, but this really didn't say that. It said that if the Spanish didn't want to sell it, well, we'll take it by force. <laughs> um, well, when, when Buchanan became a presidential candidate, he basically had to distance himself from these people. With Sickles having served two years as the first secretary and the insult to the queen, combined with the Ostin Manifesto, it was wisest and and perfect that James Buchanan brought him back to the United States. Well, it's funny you should say that, too, because there's a lot of actual journalism at the time that is a part of a big debate as to whether or not Cuba was going to be a slave state or a free state. Not, if we buy Cuba, will it be a slave state or hope <laughs> when Cuba when becomes, Cuba a, becomes state. a state. <laughs> yeah. So... Little epilogue of what happened after that, though, for Dan and Teresa. They moved to Washington, D.C. and became and become deeply ingrained in D.C. political society. Sickles used his talents for schmoozing and the influence of Tammany Hall to make an early mark among Democratic politics. And Teresa, the consummate hostess, beautiful and charming, hosting formal dinners every Thursday and holding social hours with society ladies every Tuesday morning like clockwork, like a sort of high-class non-educational office hours. Mm. Uh, Harper's <laughs> Weekly wrote about the <laughs> wrote about the couple raving about Teresa's social aplomb saying she was capable of charming the most sophisticated guest and making the most socially inexperienced feel at home. Now Sickles had been elected to the U.S. Congress right? That's why he ended up in D.C. Correct. So he's using Tammany Hall to just keep climbing that ladder. Which is which is why you know I, I, I had mistakenly said that he's like Forrest Gump. This guy has been using all of these offices for gain. Yeah. Right. Like he went to London on the 4th of July just to be angry. Like he took a prostitute with him just so he could tell them all to suck his red, white, and blue ding dongs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> there is still some gumping though. I mean, there, there's an element of gump. Yeah, but like this dude is clever. Yeah, like, I feel KG, bad now for bringing that crappy. reference up. We'll find. Well, no, we'll find out late in the game. Like he no, went to, I, he went to space with Mr. Muggs and Raquel Welch. Like, <laughs> is shoehorning the fact that that. Uh, he went to space with a monkey. Is that is that like the new cabin boy? Yeah, I think so. Sweet. Look, you know, I think you, so. Because it's the book reference and yeah, not yeah. the Tom Hanks movie reference. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they were going to make uh they were going to make a movie of the second book. Gump it was in Company. pre-production. Yeah. Oh, wow. It, it was yeah. in pre-pro and they then they ended up not making it. Was, it was it was because of 9/11. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't shoehorn 9/11 into the second <laughs> when, book. When Man, really <laughs> I was like maybe we got more important shit to worry about than go to space. Uh, I'm with in Mikey. room 645. There's a 747 flying down Manhattan. <laughs> oh, God. oh, no. Let's steer away from this. Oh, God. And they didn't. Oh, oh God. Damn. That's me. Can we get it? This is a good podcast, everyone. <laughs> I sure do wish James hadn't said that. 
<laughs> we can edit that, right? <laughs> <laughs> it'll cost you. Although, I, okay, so back back to the story before this gets any fucking worse. So Sickles actually became a uh, pretty good buds with a, uh, a a young congressman from Illinois. Oh, what, the, what was his name? Uh, I believe Abraham yeah, Lincoln. Tall fellow, weird hat. Yeah. yeah. Didn't yeah. grow a beard at first, but some kid told him he was ugly without one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah a guy named Abraham Lincoln and his wife Mary Todd. Um and uh, Theresa and Mary Todd would attend seances and spiritualist meetings with the uh, future First Lady because that movement was growing in the United and, States. Mm-hmm. And boy, was it growing in D.C. And I'm totally not surprised at that little nugget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, with Mary Todd. And Mary Todd was a big like, spiritualist. It's like turning a corner in the Watergate Hotel, in the lobby of the Watergate Hotel, and just seeing Karen Pence with a Ouija board. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but despite the party divide, too, because Lincoln was part of the new Republican Party, which would replace the Whigs as the uh, big uh, rival to the Democrats. Uh, but this, despite the party divide, they were good friends. Yep. Yep. So with all me- all these friendships and strengths along the way, the invincibility it seemed that he had, political and legal affairs, foreign and domestic, was just completely bulletproof. The, high, the powerful men in such high places, uh, as far as Pierce, Buchanan, and then eventually Lincoln, um, confirmed bachelor, James <laughs> confirmed bachelor. Um, it would seem that Sickles somehow possessed the ability to get away with murder. Yeah. And just when you thought this story couldn't get any more fun, Dan Sickles kills Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> this goes no, all the way that's to the, the top. That, that's the, <laughs> I want to know how high it goes. Thank you, Mister Ventura. Go away. <laughs> this is where Dickie gets tricky. Okay, so now we get into the real fun stuff. We'll call this the key affair, or what I like to call it, why Washington, D.C. is no longer as fun as it once was. In spring of 1858, Teresa Sickles was now a 23-year-old wife in the midst of D.C. with Dan serving his first term in Congress. It was customary for the wives of congressmen to attend regular affairs or to host them, and by all accounts, Teresa was no different. In fact, her parties were celebrated in these circles as some of the best around. While almost completely dis- divorcing herself from the politics of the era, she was adept at working her way through the social scene of the antebellum capital. She would regularly make her way to beauticians and stylists of the day, many of whom had studied in Paris and were familiar with the latest trends and fashions. Yes. Upwards of $70,000 a year in haircuts alone. Yeah, this is Real Housewives yeah. of Victorian <laughs> D.C. Exactly, exactly. While Dan was making deals in the house, Teresa was making a name among the people of the city. Mm -hmm. The patriarchal view of women standing in the 19th century allowed her to casually ignore Dan's continued serial affairs and dalliances. To publicly casually ignore Dan's serial affairs. But but Dan wasn't the only one doing this. Like, this is pretty common for, for wives to be dealing with this at the time. Yeah. Yeah, but not, not to the excess that, oh, okay. To give you more of a modern example, look at Bill Clinton. There's Bill Clinton. There are affairs going on in Washington every Correct. day. Correct. And then there are people like William Jefferson Clinton right. who were just serial. <laughs> he always had somebody there. Larry Craig, tap, yeah. tap. tap. <laughs> he had a wide stance. Come on, man. Yeah, it was simply a wide stance. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Next thing. I love Wisconsin State Law to shit with your feet at least four feet apart. I love how he handed the guy the business card, and then the next thing was it's underneath the badge. stall. It was a badge. <laughs> just to, like, just imagine being the undercover cop and like, well, I don't know, I don't, 
how are we really going to know if anything's <laughs> going on? Some dude just starts rubbing his foot on your leg. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> Might have one, but I don't know yet. <laughs> oh. I thought I was going to stop a hijacking or something. <laughs> <laughs> he was, Sweetie, the he, day I had today, I just need a drink. <laughs> he was trying to find the gay terrorists. <laughs> uh, All right, so anyway, um, many times in this era, it was necessary for congressmen to either work long hours, which that doesn't happen anymore, mm-hmm. or to travel on behalf of government. So it wasn't uncommon for other gentlemen to accompany representatives' wives to fetes and galas, usually friends of the congressmen who were almost certainly trusted. Dan, as a a first-term congressman and personal friend of confirmed bachelor, President James Buchanan, not not unlike confirmed bachelor Lindsey Graham, he reasonably had time for the trappings of society life. I just it, don't think the South will succeed. <laughs> succeed, damn it. Sorry, I fucked that up. Carry on. It's okay. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> no, we won't. But I'm not getting rid of that 9-11 joke. Oh, that was bad. Uh, <laughs> pardon me if I'm a little bit flustered. Every time you bring it up, i got to think about it. Too soon? Anyway, uh, as a first-term congressman and personal friend of the president... He reasonably had little time for the trappings of society life inside the soon-to-be beltway. Enter Philip Barton Key II. (laughs) Philip Key was the son of poet Francis Scott Key, who at the time was only known for his little poem about the defense of Fort McHenry and for his ardent belief that an entire people continued to be subjugated in chains and using his legal practice to that aim. Old Barton, according to most sources that I found, was sort of a dandy, if you will. He and, bon- uh, he and Sickles bonded over m- the more manly pursuits, guns, gambling, and world affairs. But Key was the type who lingered toward the women's tables with an understanding of a woman's needs. Now, for those of us that remember high school, the, the best way to describe this is for those of us that re- remember high school when you had most of the guys went to shop class, most of the girls went to home ec. He's got a guitar and a puka shell necklace. Yeah. There was the yeah. there was the one guy that always took the home ec classes, and of course everybody questioned his sexuality, but they should have been. It was a long high school career. Yeah. Leave me alone. But that guy in his thirties now laying pipe. Yeah, yeah it was, it was well, chess, not in chess. his 30s, in his thirties. He was laying pipe when he was fourteen in home ec class. Yeah, right. I that I Philip Barton Key am here to announce the formation. Of the fuck machine party. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's also, like, keep in mind that uh, I, we haven't really covered this one yet, but Philip Barton Key was widely regarded as one of Washington's hottest dudes. Yeah. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Times man of the year. Well, so yeah, Francis Scott Key, he's also the nephew of, the, of the, um, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Right, right. Roger Taney. Yeah. Now that guy has definitely Forrest Gumped his way into society, and now he's just plowing his way through it. But this is whenever... And so was Dan. Whenever Dan Sickles is like, uh, the, you know, if, if you don't want to go to an event, it's not uncommon for you to send your wife with another man in your stead. Yeah. Somebody usually of a lesser office or something, or a friend or things like that. And Dan Sickles is like, I'm just going to send my wife with Washington's hottest dude who just talks about if he has 20 minutes with a woman, he will sleep with her. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so... 
It was he not, told Dan that. They yes. laughed and laughed. He's like, hey, what are you doing Friday? Because <laughs> I don't want to go to this party. Well, yes. This is an audio medium because it's the perfect time for just shocked Pikachu still. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. Well, that's the thing, too, is, like, it, there's... I'll, 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 I'll get back to it. Go on. Okay. Well, it's not much of a surprise. When Sickles was busy and Teresa needed a quote-unquote waltz partner, Dan relied on Key as the safe choice. All the while, with Dan's star rising in Washington, the hours mounted, not to mention his likely continued trysts with his own consort. Okay, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about is we have, like, we've talked about Fanny White, but... Dan Sickles, it just has a stable of affairs going on. Oh, absolutely. Multiple affairs going on at the same time. He's never not cheating on Teresa with multiple women. So while all of this is going on, Philip and Teresa are painting the town to the point that one foreign dignitary's wife mistook Key to be Teresa's husband instead of her escort. What are they painting the town with? No, don't go. White. It was white. It, it is. Brown a few days later. Oh, wait a minute. That's a that's a Kid Rock reference. Paint the town paint, white. Paint yeah. The town, yeah, paint the town red. <laughs> anyway, so like almost every drama ever written is ever showed, life imitates art. Dan Sickles is spending an inordinate amount of time with his work and his mistresses, and Teresa is receiving the attention and the affections that should have been from her husband in the form of Philip Barton Key. Not surprisingly, those affections would be acted upon. Human nature has taught us nothing. If not, you can't expect kids in their early 20s to be hanging out and not fucking. (laughs) So once the affair... (laughs) It's so eloquent in its brevity. (laughs) I love life lessons with Uncle Mike. Was it Shakespeare? Um... Arguments? Anyone? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we have any dissenting opinions here? I'm not saying I think it's wrong. pretty You're much just... a maxim. Right. Just ma- ma. <laughs> Next week's Renegades After School Special will be about abstinence-only education. <laughs> so once the affair became physical, Key and Sickles developed a plan. Key and Teresa Sickles developed a plan to keep Dan unaware for obvious reasons. <laughs> And to keep the social circles from catching wind of it, which was most likely because of the stigma of adultery. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with whether they cared if their inner circles <laughs> knew it was happening. Sorry, postscript. Stigma of adultery for women. Right. Yes. For women. That, that's a, Teresa was a member of high standing in society, and there was no reason to change that. They rented an unoccupied house in, on 15th Street Northwest, not far from the Sickles' home, which became the lover's den. The signals would be arranged by a string from a window of one of the houses or by Barton casually strolling through Lafayette Square. Sorry, I'm just thinking thinking of the line from Van Wilder. Nice pad. Decorated in early fuck. Exactly. (laughs) So, um, the other signal, er, the, the, the signals would be arranged by a string from one of the windows... Or by Barton casually strolling through Lafayette Square. Yes, children, that Lafayette yep. Square. Literally the front lawn of the White House. Holding the Bible up upside down. Yeah. <laughs> he would be twirling a white handkerchief, at which time both would adjourn <laughs> to the 15th Street House for their tryst. Well, it was all well and good until 24 February 1859, 
when Sickles received an anonymous letter during a dance at the Willard Hotel explaining the details of their signaling. And as the note read, quote, with these few hints, I will leave the rest to your imagination. Sickles, enraged. Had a great imagination. Rightful, right, right, rightfully enraged, I might add. I mean, for all his serial trysts. Demands that Teresa write, not just confess, write a full confession. And then he waits. Two days later, on February 26, Dan sees Key along Madison Place which is right along Lafayette Square, twirling the telltale hanky, and his anger becomes blind rage. And yes, I bet you it's just exactly like you think it is. He's like a walking through bullfighter. <laughs> strolling <laughs> down there, twirling his hanky. He took one of his like weekly showers. <laughs> <laughs> Powdered thinking, his foppish wig. I, I bathed in the Both Potomac this morning. Yeah. I'm good. He's, he's thinking to himself, I hope Teresa's home because if not, I'm going to have to use this handkerchief. <laughs> oh, Jesus God. All right. So anyway, Dan's anger becomes blind rage. He arms himself with two Derringers now, and a revolver. I, I do want to interject because I did find one interesting part. It was on, uh, it's the podcast that the two gentlemen at Gettysburg record in the Peach Orchard. I, I apologize. I cannot think of their name. But right before this happens, Dan is out coming home through Lafayette Square. And he <laughs> passes at one point. Uh, he crosses paths with Key. And Dan's beloved dog, Dandy, recognized Key and was super excited to see him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what set him off. And then he was like, so, you... So- Son of a bitch! <laughs> you can take my wife, but you can't take my damn hound. It's like so. You telling me? You telling me this is really the original story of John Wick? It's yeah. like if you if you go like if you and your friend go to your girlfriend's place and his phone automatically syncs to her Wi-Fi. It's the same thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. But yeah, the dog Dandy recognized it, recognized Key and was super excited. Like they saw across the street, and Sickles just goes absolutely. Well, Teresa wasn't the only one getting a bone. I mean, why not? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Sickles arms himself with two Derringers and a revolver, That's a and much. heads down to the plaza. Have you seen a Derringer? <laughs> To say that he was intent to kill would be an understatement. This man came armed to the teeth to approach Philip Barton Key. Just wheeling a cannon through my head. Pretty much. Here's like the scene in Commando whenever Schwarzenegger's painting his face. He's sitting, there with the cannon, sitting there with a the cannon going, man, in four years, this is going to look ironic. Now, this is where it becomes, in effect, both humorous and sad. I mean, well, yeah. Unaware of the confession. <laughs> it is, it's going, yeah, okay. Unaware of the confession, Key, seeing his friend, extends his hand, thinking nothing of a fight, which has to be one of the worst ways on earth to spend the last <laughs> remaining seconds of your life. <laughs> your last conscious thought is, hey! <laughs> oh. Immediately, Sickle changed. <laughs> so immediately, Sickle shouts, you've dishonored my home and my family! Dan reaches for a Derringer. Barton Key reaches for... Wait for it. So so the man stuffs his hand quickly inside of his jacket. Dan has guns on him. What do you think the man that you just 
you know said impugned you would be going for. <laughs> you would probably think he would be going for a gun of his own. Padre, if you said that, <laughs> you would be very wrong. It was a pair of opera glasses, <laughs> apparently either to accost him theatrically or to get a better view of the fat lady singing on his life. <laughs> Yes, guys, <laughs> Philip Barton Key pulled the original Grand Torino. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, it would have only been better if it was a Zippo. <laughs> of course, the average pistol of the day had a better muzzle velocity than a set of binoculars. <laughs> so while the first two shots to the upper legs and groin merely slowed Key. He shot him in the dick. He sure did. The third shot to the crotch <laughs> rendered the man lifeless. God. <laughs> Good luck. Yes, no ladies. Again. You don't shoot a man in the dead. Yes, God ladies. damn it, Butters. <laughs> the man we will come to know as a Medal of Honor winner made his first kill by shooting a man in the dick. Oh, On his way man. to the Attorney's General's house to surrender, he was quoted as saying, Is that scoundrel dead yet? Oh, I thought he said, Never bring opera glasses to a gunfight. <laughs> That's our Get big takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. As we said before, Forrest Gumping his way through pre-war America, Daniel Edgar Sickles would be crowned the first moniker of American Trial of the Century. And that's where we will leave it and pick it up yep. in the next episode. That sounds good to me. Ah, the Brothers Ornette. Thank you guys very much. That's, Absolutely. Yeah, this I'm is having a fantastic great time. place to stop, too. I'm yeah. having a great time with this story so far. I'm yeah. so glad you yeah. picked this one, Mike. I really am. Well, I did. actually, again, got to thank my father. When, I, when we decided we were going to do this mandate, I knew I wanted to do something on the Civil War. Yeah. Our father is almost I would almost call him an eminent historian of the Civil War he's well, forgotten more than we could ever right. pick so up said, about it well and you and you, I talked right. at length about who who you thought about yeah. picking and and, and he said I, I said to him I said okay give me some names give me a good thief rogue renegade of the Civil War and he goes through these and then he finally gets to he's like you know what Dan Sickles you need to do Dan Sickles yeah and he was completely right. I have I have had more fun <laughs> doing this episode, and we're only halfway yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it, it's gonna it, get it, it gets it weirder. It's even better. <laughs> it gets weirder. Uh, yeah, oh, man, I'm I'm having a great time. Part one is it has been great. I can't wait for part two. Oh, it's yeah, it's gonna. Be, I can't wait for it's part be two. Winners. Yeah. Um, uh, special thanks. Quick shout out to my buddy Joe Sosha, Big Joe, for uh, a little bit of um, legal history. Um, He's a great legal mind, and he definitely, definitely helped me out with a little bit of the research about Sickles' positions uh, within the court system and, and how he got to where he got to. So big shout-out to Joe for uh, his help there. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so we will uh, we'll catch you back for Sickles Part 2. Uh, if you guys want to find us on social media, Chris, where can they do that? If you have any questions, concerns, suggestions, erotic fan fiction, you can email us at trrpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at, at podcast trr, and we are on Instagram at trrpod. You can also find us on Facebook and as well as YouTube, although this is an audio medium. Uh, we don't have a whole hell of a lot there for you, but don't don't worry. We're working on it. Also, I would like to give a shout-out real quick yes, while we're do. doing the social media thing to my friend, Jay Myers, who is now a loyal listener. Um, I don't know what level he's on as far as Patreon. Well, but it's not Grand Poobah because 10 grand did not hit my account. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't yes. think he likes Red Lobster. 
Get to it, but, Jay. Well, it doesn't matter. It's we're the ones that want the Red Lobster. Group. Big, big, right. sh- well, so, big thank you, Jay. Anyway, shout out to you. Well, thank you for the support. Here's no. There's news. Yes, he is going to for twenty dollars a year purchase us the domain. Bob oh. Crane Sex Cop. Oh, God oh, bless you. That is my, Chris, that is my oh, Christmas present. Oh, Jay, you absolute weapon. We oh. <laughs> Praise be. <laughs> we will feast with you and Valhalla, I'm, sir. I may be the prophet. He is becoming the acolyte in our little cult. <laughs> uh, yes, and speaking of Patreon, uh, if you would like to uh, throw a little financial support at us for uh, for what we do, for the content we put out, for as little as a dollar a month. Or as much as 10000 Or as much as 10000 a month. Grand poobah level. Yes, indeed. Uh, yes, you can uh, go to www.patreon.com slash trrpod. Um, and, uh, and just so everybody knows, uh, our Patreon friends will know by now, but uh, instead of the requisite two weeks, uh, this two-part episode will be available in full, uh, as all nice. of our two parts are, and that's exclusively for our Patreon members. As well as both parts of our uh, and that we're going to be doing that, I think, with most of our multi-part yep. series from now on. Yep, our two-part yeah. series are just going to go back-to-back more often than not. So, I like yep. it. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, that, that'll do it for today, guys. Um, at least, well, for this episode, we're going to come back here with part two of the story of Dan Sickles with the Brothers Ornette. Jim Ornette, thank you very much for being here for today's episode. Thank episodes. you for having me, crew. I appreciate it. So it might be a permanent you. staple at some point, hopefully. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, people, we'll, uh, we'll catch you soon. Uh, go out there. My God. Um, don't shoot people in the dick. Aim Wear for a mask. the dick. Aim for the dick. The hell with him. <laughs> Brush don't your make a statement. Aim for the dick don't, or done. It's free country. Don't bring the looking glass to the gunfight. Don't bring, yeah, don't bring opera glasses to the gunfight. And if you're taking down some dude's old lady, don't get too friendly with a dog. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, not good to uh, to introduce your whore to the queen. Just life lessons, you know. We're covering them all. Kind of like Sesame Street brought to you by the letter X. <laughs> this is... <it's, laughs> yeah, things you should have learned in school but didn't. But the guys from... The Three strokes and renegade. <laughs> oh, That's us. Great examples. Chicken soup for the, like, the penal colony. <laughs> we'll we'll be soup. writing a book and doing a Christmas special. So uh. <laughs> no, this is chicken soup for the fucking soulless. Is what it is. <laughs> I like it. All right, y'all. We'll catch you next time for Dan Sickles part two. That's about it. I got. I don't have any pithy bomb over the end of this one. I'm laughing too much. Hold fast, y'all. We'll catch you next time.